G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about what's coming up with the Church and State Summit just a few weeks away. This year, Christian leaders are talking about spiritual, cultural and political reformation. That word reformation, as I said a little earlier, it's a little bit like an earthquake word. It's a big word. It's a loaded word. It's a powerful word. But how could reformation happen? There's a new wind blowing in the Australian Christian community wanting understanding of what God says about the important public issues that we sometimes will reflect on and will call the culture wars. You'll know that we're constantly bombarded with woke dogma from politicians, from journalists and from activists. But what do Christians think on these issues? Is scripture really silent or vague on the prevailing ideas that are causing chaos in families and institutions? Well, the 7th Annual Church and State Summit is just three weeks away. It's always our absolute privilege to be able to welcome Dave Pello, who's the founder of the Church and State Summits. You'll know him as a writer and commentator on all things cultural and political. You might also know him as the founder of the Good Source online channel and the host of Pello Talk. Well, Dave Pello, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always great to be with you. Dave, let's start with some big picture. Flagging change. Uh, Some people will say... Things just seem to be out of control. As I mentioned in the introduction there, a little bit chaotic. Um, Change is necessary. Um, A a brand new day, a new wind blowing. How do you reflect on that? Well, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of stating the obvious to say, uh, and, and I hope we get large agreement when we say, let's aim for political reformation. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's... You know, the culture war is sometimes denied, and, and I find that incredible, especially by people who read the Bible, uh, who would deny that there is a culture war. I, I think the first three chapters of Genesis outline a culture war, that right from the very beginning, God has had a plan, a design, a destiny, an ideal for the way we should live in community with each other and with him. And right from the beginning has been the voice of the deceiver in our ear whispering, has God really said to do things that way? And you've got this right from the beginning Genesis idea that there's a stewardship that is given to Adam and Eve and somehow or other sin gets in the way and you've got a branch of obedience to God and a disobedience to God, and they have different outcomes, don't they? Look, uh, right from the beginning, we, we see the carnality of false religion with God saying, here is how you have relationship with me, and man saying, here is how we cover our shame and try and achieve righteousness in our own eyes, right from the beginning. And, and that is complete filth, and gutter garbage to God. And right from the beginning, God planned a way to redeem us 
and bring us back. And, and that is the message of the kingdom of God. That is the good news. That is what the angels heralded over the manger in the paddocks that night to the shepherds. They said, there's now a way for man to have peace with God. Not peace on earth, but peace between earth and, and man and between man and God. On Earth, and and it wasn't about the end of war or you know a Miss Universe pledge to see world peace. It was it was about the end of the culture war, a way to end our wrestle with God, and ultimately that's what this uh, this year's theme of summit and, and subsequent conferences in Tasmania, South Australia, and Western Australia is all about. It, it's about uh, the reformation of our religion, to stop pretending that our false religions bring any honor or glory to God because there is no easier way to heaven, because there is no other way to heaven and the kingdom of God than the man Jesus Christ. Dave, do you think the ordinary Christian who perhaps warms the pew in their church on a Sunday, do you think the ordinary Christian appreciates the dangers that lie in the woke agenda taking over the dangers that are coming upon the church but not only upon the church but upon the nation any thoughts here well there's certainly two types of christians you've got the the pew warmers um who aren't aware and then you've got those people who are in the pews um who who are definitely aware who who see it and are frustrated and and many of these people speak to me are in the denominations whose bishops are adulterating and diluting the word of God, ordaining sexually confused and sexually immoral people. Uh, now, that's that's anathema to the word of God. And these people sitting in, in the pews know firsthand they love their church, they love their denomination, it's the family, it's their identity. As much as they're in Christ, they're in one of those denominations. And, and it breaks their heart, the thought of, of this war against God's word in their own church, let alone in the wider culture. And, and so that's, again, part of the message is we, we need to have a reformation that will, um, A, tell these people you're not going mad. This is everything that the Word of God said, and you are the one saying amen, yes and amen to the Word of God, while others rage against it and create a, create a false religion that is in its best counterfeit, a, a very good representation, but nonetheless false. Let me just dwell here with you for a moment because when we use the word the church, and that's a big broad brushstroke, isn't it? Mm. But we recognize that there are some elements of the church and uh, everyone who listens to this program regularly knows that I'm a champion of the local church and you want to be able to do those things according to the Great Commission and you want to be an influence of salt and light in your community. But when we think of the church, uh, 21st century Australia and the growing woke politics within church and within the civil society, uh, you've got this thought that somehow or other the word apostasy becomes an important word. And if there is an apostasy, a turning away from a biblical truth, it would take reformation to bring the church back from that place. Now, not all churches are in apostasy. Some are just doing fabulous. Uh, some that might be on the brink of being apostate, uh, turning away from from uh, godliness. Uh, there are going to be those who are either going to leave or they're going to say, we're in here for the long haul, we're going to stay. Uh, thoughts here around, you know, what what might be happening in churches and, and how you might be thinking about moving out of um, this sort of 
slumber that we might be in mm-hmm. and uh, towards reformation. Yeah, there's very, uh, I think it's Ephesians chapter 5 where um, Paul is, is writing or, or quoting um, the, the phrase, Awake, O sleeper. Um, and ri- rise and shine and then let the light of Christ shine on you. And, and that is in direct reference to everything he'd just written beforehand, which is about shining the light of the gospel on the deeds of wickedness uh, and especially refuting uh, those those false teachers, those dangerous shepherds who would try and use fancy words and clever language to excuse and justify sins which God will pour his condemnation and judgment on. Uh, and, and that is, uh, you know, that is a very sad place for a church to to be. Um, and and look, uh, it, there might be a particular church that some people have in mind right now, and and the one that I'm thinking of in particular. And there's more than one, um, but the vast majority of the congregants are theologically conservative and faithful to the Word of God. Uh, and and it, it's actually when you get to the upper levels, uh, like the bishops' conference, where they start. Um, you know, wanting to ordain and and bless that which God has called unholy and wicked, and immoral, um, and and so those people in the, I think it's hard to say that church has apostatized when only its leadership has, uh, and and that's you know again, uh, what can we do about this? Um, well, I think one of the very very important reasons the church and state ministry exists. Is to is to preach the word of God, to preach the unadulterated, undiluted, uncompromised gospel, to encourage faithful believers uh, that they're not going mad, that that this is the word of God, that this is the kingdom of God. Uh, the best criticism I think that the let's call them apostatizers have of faithful Christians is that we're polarizing, and that they believe the gospel shouldn't be polarizing. But you need to read the Sermon on the Mount, all about the kingdom of God, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. And and in the book of Matthew, uh, it starts with Jesus describing a spiritual humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you don't bring anything to the table that impresses God with your human morality, with your false righteousness, with your self-righteousness, with your false pride. There's nothing in your moral compass which is useful in the kingdom of God, only the word of God. So the minute you start thinking you bring something to the table, which is what our culture does, we, we have this self-righteousness in culture. And it was exactly the same in Jesus' day where the, the Jews thought because they have the law, there was righteousness and God approved of them because of who they were. Um, but the reality was that the law was not given to make them righteous. The law was given to show them they were far from righteous. And that's exactly the same today, is, is you can't offer God your own righteousness. You, you actually have to come with a poverty of spirit saying, I have nothing. And the next verse, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You have to have this grief about your spiritual condition because it's when you only when you realized how lost and utterly depraved you are without the righteousness of Christ that you have a chance of accepting that gift and not trying to add anything to it. Paul writes that if there's any works added to the gospel of grace, then there is no gospel of grace at all. It's a gospel of works. But at the end of Matthew uh, chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to people, make up your mind. 
You're either for me or against me. You're either the wise builder or the foolish builder. You're either building on rock or you're building on sand. You're either on the narrow way or you're on the broad way to destru- destruction. Over and over again, there's you, you're either good fruit or bad fruit, good tree or bad tree. There's so many times Jesus gives two options. The gospel is inherently polarized and exclusive. It's as as and it, it is as discriminating as the answer to two plus two. There is one right answer, and every other answer in way is wrong. It's not true. There's no such thing as your answer to two plus two. There's no such thing as your truth or your gospel or your righteousness, only that which God offers. This is the message the culture needs. This is the message the church has and has come to dilute and step away from in an effort to make the gospel what it isn't. And that's popular. God save us from popular Christianity. And so when we think of the church and we think of the state, so church and state, that's what Church and State Summit is all about. Somehow or other, the, the state isn't going to listen unless the church is some ways united. And it's going to be united on a platform of some level of truth. Now, just bring you to one of your guest speakers that you've got I think uh, zooming in from the UK is Father Calvin Robinson. Uh, he's an Anglican minister, isn't he? And he's right in the battle because I know that the Anglican Church of England church uh, is right in the middle of all sorts of cultural challenges that they're going through. And he's going to be one of your speakers. He's um, His official denomination is um, a little bit obscure to, to most Australians, but it's essentially Anglo-Catholic. Um, and uh, and the Church of England has effectively uh, trained him and and uh, schooled him in in doctrine and theology, um, and he's managed to come out with good theology anyway. Um, and and then they've gone slow and not ordained him, so he's he's got ordination elsewhere. But yes, he is Church of England um, traditional, and and the reason they're going slow on him is because he is so orthodox. Um, that he is fiercely critical of the apostatized bishops of the Church of England, uh, those people who are practicing and preaching a false gospel um, that is is trying to make the way to Jesus broad and easy when Jesus said the way is narrow and difficult. Uh, you, you don't get an easy path. I'm sorry. You have to sacrifice yourself. You have to crucify yourself. There is nothing of you that is of value to God other than who you are. But uh, God loves us too much to leave us as we are. It's not to, look, we are in condemnation. And, and to pretend we're not to spare people's feelings is not to help them at all. It's to point them to the broad way, which leads to destruction. And, and so Calvin Robinson is, is really bringing that message and, and saying uh, we need to return to the gospel. We need to return to unadulterated, original, faithful uh, church history doctrine. And when we get there... That's when we have a chance of influencing culture. Uh, I don't know that the government is anytime soon, even if we were completely united, going to listen to the church. Um, what they listen to, it, it, very pragmatically, is the economy of elections. Um, it's popular demand. Um, so if we want to change the outcome in elections and parliaments in Australia, we have to change the culture. This isn't a short game. Uh, the long march through the institutions hasn't been a short march. It's been a long march. That's the only way to change culture effectively. And that's what the parliaments now reflect, is a long march through the institutions uh, and piece by piece, uh, a bit like a Jenga tower, 
um, the the leftists have been withdrawing a piece by piece of the foundation and the structure of our civilization. And we have to rebuild that culture and reform that culture so that it is intact and whole and healthy again. And when we have a healthy culture humbly submitted before Almighty God, that's when we'll have a chance of having a reformed parliament. We've been talking about church as we introduce our conversation today, and we're going to talk some more about state. Our special guest is Dave Pellow. He's founder of the Church and State Summits. The next one is coming up, the Church and State Summit, on the weekend, Friday 8th and Saturday the 9th of March. And we're talking about Brisbane. There's some other uh, church and state events coming through the year as well. But the Church and State Summit, this is the big one. It's on that weekend, Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th of March, churchandstate.com.au. And there'll be people who will be flying in from all over Australia to Brisbane on that weekend. Uh, You might be one of them and you'll be able to find out how you can do that Church and state. In fact, Dave, why don't we take a call straight away? Philip is in Albany in WA. Hey, Philip, welcome along. Thank you. What are your thoughts, Philip? Uh, fair bit. I'll get through this really quickly. Uh, so, my question is what is the original full gospel? Um, so, that's just one question. Now, um, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there was. Uh, uh, the Book of the Law, which was discovered after how long being lost in the temple. I think Jehoshaphat, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, was the king when it was rediscovered. I think and that was Josiah. He was known I as the you. boy king. And uh, you're absolutely right. Rediscovered the Book of the Law and had a public um, reading and the people repented. Yes. So uh, let's, let's uh, pick up on this because, uh, Dave, this is an important element. Um, an original full gospel and uh, what that might mean for the behaviour of people. Uh, thoughts here for Philip? Oh, look, if you want to, it, there's there's no short answer, but if you have to, I mean, the short answer is the, the gospel is the preaching of the kingdom of God uh, in in uh, the gospels, all, all four of them. And, and as they overlap and, and confirm each other, they fulfil all of the prophecies and foreshadowings of, of uh, the Messiah and the kingdom of God in, in the Old Testament, right from... Uh, Genesis all the way through to Malachi and and Christ fulfilled and completed and accomplished everything uh, that the the law was given for. But if you want to uh, summarize it and and come down to it, the the gospel is that a man in his natural condition is already condemned. And this is summed up in John chapter 3. We are condemned if we do not believe in Jesus Christ. But the good news is that in our state of condemnation and war and enmity with God, uh, in our futility and inability to do anything to impress or achieve salvation or righteousness in our own strength, that Christ in his mercy and grace and generosity completely and finally paid every penalty that we owed God and that he gives us the righteousness that we need much like a robe which completely covers everything we bring, uh, our, our filthy rags or even our nakedness, and that God doesn't see our righteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ given to us when we who have believed in him uh, confessed his name and, and believed that God raised him from the dead and the, the fullness of his deity, that when we completely sacrifice our wills 
and worth to him that uh, we stand uh, wholly with God and in Christ, um, free from condemnation. And and that is the fullness of the gospel, that there's bad news, which requires good news, and uh, that that invitation is is open to everyone. Now, forgive the the attempt to summarize it. I'm sure I've left much out. Um, but, yeah, how, how does that sit with you? Um, just uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent and pray, uh, repent of their wicked ways, I will turn and heal their land. So I think that's a, a real call to action for the whole church. Correct. And also to be aware of um, changes to the modern uh, copyrighted editions of the Bible. For example, eliminating uh, Jesus' own words, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Um, when we have key verses, which there's no good reason for their removal, being removed or changed, that's where I come back to my question. Let's get back to the, uh, the original gospel um, and be aware of these uh, dubious changes being made to the Bible. I like the New English translation, um, and I never use only one translation. I, I always read many translations side by side when I'm doing any kind of devotional study. But the reason I, I, I like the New English translation is because more than any other translation, it includes copious translator notes who offer explanations on on why they've done things a, a certain way. And that kind of intellectual accountability, I think, is very healthy for us. Of course, none of us, well, very few of us, are speaking fluent Hebrew or Greek. And so, um, we, you know, textual criticism, the quality of our... Um, of our sources for uh, understanding um, the canon of Scripture right now is is uh, very very important. So all of those things together are exacting sciences, and um, and in the absence of us being um, archaeologists, uh, manuscript interpreters, uh, fluent in Hebrew and, and Greek, and more strength to those people who are. Uh, it's incumbent on us more pedestrian intellects to have a, a range and variety of uh, sources and and things beside us so that we can, uh, like you wisely suggest, um, be, be uh, researching deeper and understanding why translators came up with uh, various conclusions that they did on, on the ways to put the canon together. <laughs> Philip, good raising that point because, of course, there is going to be a science around the translations that we read. And uh, one of the risks, of course, coming is that we're all reading a digital translation. If anything can be changed very easily, it's a digital translation. And that's why it's probably a good thing to have some of those hard copy translations on hand, uh, the ones that you know are trustworthy and that won't change. Additional to that, of course, is the science of interpretation. And uh, there are always going to be variances in the way that people interpret the scriptures. But certainly... A rediscovery of orthodoxy and reliant on really good scholarship is going to be a way that we are going to be able to move forward with confidence. And so that is a challenge. But thank you so much for raising that, Philip, Thanks, in Philip. Albany. Uh, and our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. And, of course, there are always going to be variations. There are always going to be people in the same room who are able to debate uh, what actually uh, is the truth. But there are a lot of things when these woke agendas begin to rise, Dave, uh, that you get common 
understanding, common interpretation of what the Bible is saying, say around the issue of male and female, which doesn't appear in our ecumenical creeds, but you've got this uh, this well, uh, well-organized, well-understood foundation of the Bible that God created man and woman. Uh, in some sense, not difficult on the outset, although it does take scholarship to even prove that. Uh, thoughts here around some of these issues, these woke agenda items that are coming up, the, the way that we can have a common agreement uh, so far as Christian leaders go. Look, it's... Uh it's it's hard. I think it takes a great deal of effort to complicate these things. I think you have to be trying very hard to be ignorant of what the Bible says about these fundamental issues. Uh, I mean, Jesus very clearly quoted uh, Moses' writing um, about creation when he addressed questions of, of marriage and sexuality when asked. He, he answered a very narrow question very broadly. And he said in the beginning, God created them male and female, which talks about intent, design, and polarized binary options. Uh, there's there's no ambiguity or disputability disputability about what Jesus said. Uh, it's so simple, so simple. It beggars belief that anybody would try and complicate this, and and they do. They try so hard, and and this is exactly what. Paul was warning about in Ephesians chapter 5 when he when he warned against people who try and rationalize sin the sins of adultery and immorality and drunkenness and and all of these other impure and and unrighteous behaviors which which earn the wrath of God he, he was talking about Christians trying to justify and rationalize sin I don't know why they do it but I can only conclude they're false Christians. Uh, that's challenging, isn't it? Um, to be able to identify a false Christian, and uh, we might you know, there might be some listeners who might have their own thoughts there. Hey, Dave, let me lead you back around to the gathering that's happening on the eighth and the ninth of March. It's the seventh annual Church and State Summit. I came across a fabulous quote, and I know that one of your favourite identities from history is William Wilberforce, and so many listeners will know, well, he's the name that you associate with uh, the end of slavery in Great Britain, Uh, the end of slavery, and this was happening around about the time of the first fleet arriving in Australia. In fact, fact, um, Australia never entered into a direction with slavery because Wilberforce was a part of sending out uh, that very first chaplain uh, whose name was Richard Johnson. Mm -hmm. And so uh, slavery never got a foothold in Australia because it never was a part of the original intent. But I've got a quote here, and uh, you might like to reflect on this because when I think of the church and state summits, and from year to year, growing in significance, growing in influence, and the caliber of people that you have coming and speaking as guest speakers at the Church and State Summit, I picked up this quote. It was by a guy named Garth Lean, and he said this of William Wilberforce, and he was surrounded by a whole bunch of great people. And they labored together for the kingdom of Christ. And one historian, Garth Lean, wrote, they possessed between them an astonishing range of capacities, encyclopedic knowledge, a capacity for research, 
sparkling wit and literary style, business sagacity, foreign policy expertise, legal ability, oratory and parliamentary skill. And he says this, no prime minister had such a cabinet as Wilberforce could summon to his assistance. What a quote. Mm. You know, when I think of the gathering um, momentum that comes with church and state summits, you've got a gathering of influential Christian thinkers and doers, and it's almost like all of those sorts of elements that were surrounding Wilberforce in his day coming together at a church and state summit. Any thoughts from you? Well, look, that's very, very biblical uh, for a start, and and the, I mean the the goal of the church and state summit is and and conferences is different to the Clapham sect because the Clapham sect had a had a particular and and specific uh, legislative objective, and that was the abolition of slavery, um, and. And the goal of of the Church and State Summit is essentially Christian political education, um, but it is essentially uh, let me let me put it this way: it's like the Church and State Summit is trying to support and facilitate a Clapham sect, uh, so that the people who come can in turn be those people supporting good legislative objectives, great legislative objectives, such as which William Wilberforce did. And, and, you know, some people have suggested I should stand for Parliament and some people suggest I should start a movement. Um, but my objective in, in founding the Church and State Summit and, and convening each of these conferences is is not to not to be the leader, but to actually facilitate the multitude of people necessary to support good politicians. Good politicians will not be successful without popular support. And even bad politicians can be redeemed and brought to usefulness with a, a economy of supply for good politics. And uh, let me say it more plainly. Uh, the, the work of, of the gifts that Jesus gave the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, was for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And the Clapham sect were people who were well equipped for the work of the ministry of being salt and light in the British Parliament and culture. And they did together achieve great things over a generation. They achieved generational change. They made uh, slavery go from something which was popular and socially accepted to something that was unpopular and socially anathema. And many other moral aspects to British society went from corruption and darkness and depravity and immorality to the Victorian era of morals, which is now uh, held up to a ridiculous standard of, of morality. But that was the kind of transformation that they were able to achieve because of the equipping of the saints. And so the Church and State Summit and Conferences is a collection of those academic and theological and intellectual and, and cultural experts who can who can take complex and sophisticated research and understanding and and dilute it and distill it down to things that you and me and everyday people uh, can take back to uh, our homes, our workplaces, our work sites, our lunchrooms and and actually 
repeats this instruction, this knowledge, God's truth and gospel, um, and that we can be instruments of change because it, this is what it's 100% about, is in, inspiring, encouraging, and equipping uh, the people of God to do this work of the ministry in, in Australian culture, loving our neighbours, preaching the gospel, being salt and light. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Douglas is in Melbourne. Hey, Douglas, welcome along. Douglas, are you with us? Dougie. No, Douglas, uh, something's gone astray there. You might like to call us back. 1-800-316-316. You know, uh, there was... Maybe I offended him. No, I don't (laughs) think so. One historian wrote uh, around William Wilberforce, and as you're making that wonderful description of him, and drawing this very important point out, that William Wilberforce is proof that a man can change his times though he cannot do it alone. Amen. So you've got Wilberforce, who is pedestalized in some ways, Mm. a great hero of Christian history, the abolition of slavery, just an amazing thing that he was able to achieve in his time. Mm. But he couldn't do that alone. He needed all of those ones around him who were carrying the expertise that he would have said, I'm weak in these areas, but I'm Mm. surrounded by these... Uh, brothers in Christ, he might have he might have even called them, uh, mm. who were in their own place, having the strengths that were making up for his weaknesses. Yeah, look, uh, the, the way the kingdom of God works is one body, many parts. Uh, no, no part can say to another, "I don't need you," uh, and and no part is more deserving of honor than another part. This is inherently scriptural. One of my frustrations is is when uh, allegedly fellow Christians uh, put conservative, fundamental Christians in their crosshairs and start criticizing us, not for policies or doctrines, but style. Uh, it's like, well, hang on. If, if you are meant to be uh, doing things in a certain way, then you obey your Lord and you do it that way. But if we were all like you, then it would be uh, nobody, one part. Uh, there'd be an, You wouldn't even be an amputee. You would be the amputated part, which is completely non-functional. Uh, I, I I really don't understand their their frustration at everybody not being like them. Um, whereas I think my my responsibility is to be able to answer the question when I get to heaven: Was I obedient? Was I faithful? Not to what God told Neil, but to what God told me. Because Neil, when you get to heaven, God's not going to say. Neil, did you do what I told David to do? What I revealed to David, were you faithful and obedient? He's going to say, were you faithful and obedient to what I revealed to you? Yeah. Uh, and and how dare I judge you in a way that God's not going to judge you? God's not going to judge you by what he... So we, can, we should debate and, and sharpen and, and compare our revelations so that we can get a better understanding. But at the end of the day, it could be us that's in error. And, and so... We betray that humility of spirit required in in uh, Matthew five three when we when we presume to judge people by what God has revealed to us, uh, which is not just uh, His word; it's it's far more than His word. It, it's our own understanding of of that revelation, and and so it's easy to judge people by the word of God, and that's the standard I'm prepared to be judged by. But uh, to be, you know, Matthew 7, 1, that, that's the standard. You, you can judge if you're prepared to live by that same standard. But uh, the, 
the reality is is that the diversity in the body of Christ is absolutely beautiful and indispensable, uh, and we should be very comfortable with it. Well, we tried Douglas earlier. We've got him back again, I think. Hello, Douglas. Hooray. Welcome along. Uh, yes, hi. Um, I was watching a YouTube thing with Dr. Ken Ham and Dr. Abner Chow yesterday, and they're talking about a new translation of the Bible. And I think I've got the name correct. It's LSB, which stands for I don't know what, but they're claiming it to be very accurate. And um, I just wanted to bring it to your attention. I haven't had a look at it myself as yet because I only came across it yesterday. And just thought I'd put it out there uh, for you to consider yourselves. Uh, Douglas, thanks so much for that. Uh, I often encourage people to stay with the translation of the Bible uh, that you had in your early formative years as a Christian because uh, sometimes changing midway uh, can upset all sorts of your understanding and, uh, you know, just try to remember Bible verses and then try to remember them in a new version. It's sometimes not so easy. But, yes, um, there might be all sorts of different versions of the Bible. And, you know what, for some uh, religious traditions, they criticize Christianity because we have so many versions of the Bible. Um, but we've got such a wonderful history of being able to interpret the Bible into new cultures and for new ages and for new generations. We don't want to lose the authenticity and the wonderfulness of the uh, of the, uh, the, the the formation of the Bible. But we're able to do things for new generations and into new languages and for new cultures. And that's the way the Bible has been translated and has changed the world over all this time. Um, Dave, any thoughts from you on, on uh, I'm not sure what the LSV version of the Bible is, but, um, you know, you've, I do, uh, I, I do uh, take what Ken Ham says and uh, take it seriously, if that's what he's saying. Yeah, look, that's uh, a, a one good, you know, f- I'm, I'm trying to sympathize with the absolute rookie on, on biblical scholarship um, and, and to speak to trusted and, and, and to hear what trusted and respected uh, commentators and theologians like Ken Ham have to say about something is, is one of the confidences we can take. Uh, the point I would make is that uh, biblical scholarship and reliability only started excellent and is only getting better. Uh, in other words, we are getting more and more copies which more and more confirm what we already know. We're getting uh, copies of manuscripts that are closer and closer and closer to the original copies with with better archaeology and advances, with, with more digs and more discoveries comes more confirmation. And and uh, and so we should be prepared and be open to seeing new translations coming through because uh, it's scholarship. It's just saying, uh, like science, our understanding of things. Now, salvation doesn't depend on the Bible. The early church didn't have the Bible. They had the testimony of the resurrection of Christ and the prophets. Uh, and that's um, the... That's the basis of, of your salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, and, and that's where we need to get our confidence from. That, so we should be doing it. Look, it, it stands for um, the Legacy Standard Bible. And uh, great, if, if new scholars... One of the things you should be wary of is translations where the scholarship is anonymous, such as the New World Translation. Uh, that is a Bible that should be used as a doorstop. 
because it's not a Bible. It's a it's a uh, like the twenty dollar note I printed on my printer at home. It's um, fraudulent and counterfeit. And uh, you know there are good trans there are translations that should be thrown away, no matter how close they look to the Bible. And so yeah, buyer beware, um, but ask around. Don't be paranoid, um, but also have your eyes open. And isn't it a wonderful thing to get a little bit um, involved in conversations around the Bible? And I always yeah. encourage those. And, and you know, if you're worried, just make sure there's someone with a level of maturity who can understand something about translations and interpretation uh, that when you're having those discussions uh, that you don't go, uh, you know, jumping into some sort of deep hole that you can't dig yourself out of. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you've got some real opportunity It's always a debate that should be encouraged. Hey, thank you so much, Douglas, in Melbourne. Time has run out. Uh, Let me just point people to the website. And you might want to be a participant. You might want to book your seat for the upcoming Church and State Summit. It's the seventh annual Church and State Summit. Dave Pellow, our guest, is the founder of Church and State Summits. And here is the website, churchandstate.com.au. Run your eye over the calibre of speakers who'll be a part of this year's Church and State Summit. Uh, You'll be surprised. They will be outstanding. Uh, To be there in the audience, sitting on a chair, will be an absolute privilege. If you can get to it, my encouragement is to do that. Churchandstate.com.au And Dave, you did mention some Church and State events that are following on from the Church and State Summit. Uh, at the top of your head, just uh, rattle those off for listeners because some will be saying, I'm gonna, I can't get to Brisbane, but I can get to... So if you head to churchandstate.com.au forward slash register, you will see the list of events that are confirmed for this year. One week after the 8th and 9th of March, we're in Albury, New South Wales. Four weeks after the summit, we're in Hobart, and another week later, we're in Launceston. Uh, we will be doing a Queensland road trip of uh, a road trip of Queensland uh, uh, in May. That's not yet confirmed anywhere, but uh, be uh, tuned in for that. Uh, then in August, we'll be in Perth, and October, we'll be in Adelaide. And uh, look, very keen for God to open new doors and to see uh, invitations to other regional and uh, city centres. And do take advantage of that. Uh, Whenever we have a guest on 2020 and I say this is a guest who's open to be booked to speak at an event in your community or at your local church, could be on a Sunday service, Um, take advantage of the opportunity. And as Dave Pellow says, yes, he is open to invitations to preach. He is prepared to travel. Church and state .com.au. Dave Pellow, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.